And now we're going to have our reading, which is Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have in an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you joined since the beginning of the service, really good to, to have you with us today as we continue our series, Ready, looking at these couple of chapters towards the end of Matthew's Gospel. And on the service sheet, there's a few points as well if you want to scribble some notes down and follow along on there. If I had to guess, I would say the average age at Trinity, uh, mid-30s, late-30s, probably something like that. I might have got that slightly wrong. Um, something along those lines. The UK life expectancy, 81. That's what it is at the moment. Slightly higher for women than it is for men. 81. And of course, as we've been saying over these last few weeks, Jesus Christ could return tonight. We've got to be ready for that. We might die young. People do. But say you've got 40, 45 years left. Some here it will be more than that. Some it will be less. 
What do you want to achieve? What ambitions do you want to, to realise? There's a number of different ways we could answer that question, isn't there? Take career, for example. To do a job that, that really has an impact, that really makes a difference, and ideally kind of brings in a bit of money as well. We can't say that, can we? Or maybe to achieve financial freedom, to, 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 to own a property in London outright. Maybe it's a relationship, to get married perhaps. Or maybe it's different, to write a novel or to fly to the moon. I don't know. You could have all sorts of different answers to that question. But, but what about spiritually speaking? Have you ever think, do you ever think about what you'd like to achieve, to set out to do for the kingdom of God, for Jesus? Ever considered how you might want to make this life that you have count for him? Well, these two chapters, Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, you might remember then that Jesus is speaking privately with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he's teaching them all about what it, what it looks like to, to live lives that are ready for his return. Do you remember chapter 24, verse 44, the kind of key verse we said? Be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect him. And we've been working through these parables, and we've had some different images. We've had the image of the thief. Do you remember the thief coming suddenly, unexpectedly in the night? We've got to be ready like that for Jesus to come back. We've had the image of the, the bridesmaids, do you remember last week, who were keeping watch, alert, not thrown by the delay in Jesus' return. But in these parables, we've still got a few of the sort of details to, to fill in what it looks like to be ready in our day-to-day -day lives. And that's where today's parable really comes into the picture. In the fact that we're not to be passive, but active. Not lazy, but working hard, investing what we have been given by God for him. Martin Luther, a man with a fine beard and, uh, and a great reformer in the, in the 16th century. Uh, he famously said, look, there's two days on my calendar, today and that day. I mean, uh, probably he did have more days on his calendar than that. But in his mind, today, what, what do I do today in light of that day when Jesus returns, when he comes back? And so as people here today, as we prepare for that day when Christ returns... How should we live? How can we make our lives count for Jesus? Three areas we're going to look through. And the first is this. The master gives generously. If you've lost your place, we're in chapter 25, starting at verse 14. And as we pick it up there, the, the scene is one of a boardroom, the master's office. Uh, verse 14, we're told that the master is going on a journey Maybe he's got a few offshore accounts to deal with or a, a business deal in Dubai and he gets on the flight there. And he calls his best guys in and he opens the safe in the office and he hands out five bags of gold to one, two bags of gold to another, and one bag of gold to the, the third person. In older translations of the Bible, it's, it's talents, but here bags of gold, it means the same thing. And he gives them these bags of gold to invest 
And just as we hear that, it's easy to miss three little details that the text picks up on. One, notice how generous the amount is here. It's in the, in the footnote if you've got that in a Bible that you're following along to. But five bags of gold is the equivalent to a hundred years' wages. That is a serious amount of money, okay? Five bags of gold is a hundred years' wages. It's incredibly generous. Two, notice the privilege, though. See, as we hear the words um, servant or slave, we, we have a kind of negative connotation of that, often rightly so. But in the ancient world, at this time when Jesus is writing, a servant could enjoy serious responsibility and authority. These bags of gold offer the opportunity for them to invest them and to get a handsome reward for that. And then the third thing, each of them, we're told, is given according to their ability. The master recognizes the difference in his servants, but even Mr. One Bag, that's still 20 years wages that he has given. And so the master gives the money out, shuts the, shuts the safe, and heads off on his journey. And in the context of Matthew 24 and 25, the master is Jesus. The master here stands for Jesus. In the upper room in John's gospel, as he speaks to his disciples, Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'll return. And the point here is that Jesus generously gives lavishly to his servants, to his people. A serious responsibility given to them. He provides his servants lavishly with riches to invest for him. What kind of riches? Well, here uh, is money, isn't it? The bags of gold. But I think we can broaden that out more legitimately to, to time that he gives us, abilities, gifts, Jobs, a sharp mind, property. And so if you're a Christian here today or watching online, you've been blessed by Jesus. It would be different kind of levels that we would have been given in terms of our abilities, like here. Some we might recognize, oh, you've got enormous gifts and abilities. Others, well, it doesn't seem so that way. We're, we're equally saved. It's got nothing to do with that. But whatever the case, Jesus says to his servants, he says to you, grow my kingdom, maximize my assets. We're entrusted by God to use the gifts, the talents and skills that he's given us for him. And that's great, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing. It's a brilliant opportunity to do something useful with our lives. To do something meaningful with our life, to multiply these assets for him. Some here will have been given great analytical brains. Others, the gifts of different languages. Others, outrageous artistic abilities. Others, abundant compassion, kind of in your personality. There's a whole variety of gifts here. But the generous master expects us to be at work harnessing these things for him. And see, so the rest of the parable really unpacks the two responses, like last time, a positive response and a negative one. The positive one is this, then that the pro productive servants invest his gifts wisely. 
So going out of the boardroom, uh, out of the office, what do Mr. Five Bags and Mr. Two Bags do? Well, verse 16 says that at once they put the money to work. Can you see that in verse 16? The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. That's a, you know, I don't know if many of you kind of working in your office would be given a promotion for that. I would have thought so. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? It's a doubling of the investment. And it's the same for Mr. Two Bags, now becomes Mr. Four Bags. See, with both of these, at once they get to work. There's no hanging around, chatting at the water cooler about who should have taken the penalties last Sunday. No, that straight away, they're getting to work. They're productive, looking for investment opportunities. And we're told that after a long time, do you remember the delay we looked at last time? The master comes back, and we're back to the boardroom. Maybe the master's picked up a bit of a tan from his, his travels, and he's back. And well, he's very pleased, isn't he? He's very pleased with the results. Have a look at verse 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And it's the same with the man that had two bags as well in verse 23. Remember, they're given different amounts, yet it's the same commendation. They've done what the master wanted. And what's the, what's the result? What's the reward? Well, like the banquet last time that we looked at last week, here the master says, come and share your master's happiness. Come and share your master's joy, that is. And so for the first disciples listening into this on the Mount of Olives, and for us, the message is this. That the Master Jesus Christ, he's away. And he expects us to be productive, busy for the kingdom. Multiplying the, the investing investment that he has given us as we wait for his return. And maybe some are listening into this and, and hearing this and you think, doesn't this kind of sound a little bit anti-grace? You know, we talk a lot at Trinity about grace and that's a brilliant thing. This sounds a bit, a bit dodgy. You know, Jeremy's on holiday. Nathan, what, what are you saying? It's not about what we do, is it? Well, a helpful phrase that I've been helped by to understand this is the little phrase that we are saved to serve. We're saved to serve. See, Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, has saved you. He's rescued you. And in grateful response to what he has done, we serve. See, busyness, productivity, that, that's never going to earn our way into heaven. But it's a response to the fact that we have been saved. We're, we're saved to serve. You've got to get that the right way around and understand that. And so the master's away. Be active. Use the talents, gifts, assets, time in energetic, effective service. Enjoy being saved and serve. It's good look like a, a number of different ways. I think of a, a friend of mine called Tanzi. And um, Tanzi moved into a, a house and there was a, a family next door. And the lady next door was, um, was Polish. And, and Tanzi thought, okay, I'll kind of try and get chatting to her, get to know her. And 
and the, the lady next door, her English, um, she didn't really have much English at all, it was hard to communicate, and Tansy didn't have much Polish, so they sort of wanted to be able to chat to each other, but it just wasn't, wasn't really happening. And, and Tansy thought, you know, God's given me, it's just kind of given me a real gift for languages, picking up languages quite quickly. God certainly hasn't given me that, that gift. Um, but, you know, I've got this gift. Um, I've got a bit of time just at this stage of life. I'm going to try and learn basic Polish so that I can get to know my next door neighbor. We, we want to be in this community for a long time. Maybe I might be able to chat to, to her about Jesus as time goes on. That would be doing this kind of thing, wouldn't it? Or I think of a man called Andrew. And Andrew, um, he's, he's, met, he's done well in his career. He's made a lot of money. He's, he's the kind of person that you chat to and you say, oh, what do you do for a job? And he says, oh, money. Or, you know, finance. What on earth does that mean? But, you know, it's sort of this one word that, you know, uh, you get the impression that he's done pretty well. He sits on a few boards. It's that kind of thing. But for him, each summer, he gives up a couple of weeks um, helping serve on a summer camp. Uh, I know he's given quite a lot of money just behind the scenes to, to that. And he won't be kind of up front doing all the kind of main things and, and in, the, in the spotlight. But he'll be, you know, fixing an old broken tennis racket or, or putting up a marquee that you know is being blown over in the wind that no one else wants to do he's using his talents his gifts for the lord or i think of caris a friend of mine caris who um she was involved in the church and she knew that there was a church plant from there just down the road from where she lived and again just for this season in her life she knew and heard that this church was struggling with their sort of kids work to get um to get volunteers to help with that. And she said to the church leader, she said, look, um, can I come along to your church and just kind of help for, for a term, just to help out with the, the kids' work, just to get it going, just get it off the ground. I, I can't commit to anything more than that, but this stage of life, I can do that. And so every week she taught the sort of Sunday school at that church. How can you productively, energetically, Use the gifts that God has given you for the sake of the kingdom to disciple others, serve others, share the gospel with others. It's worth saying, I think, sometimes this involves risk, doesn't it? It involves stepping out in faith, particularly with that last point that I made, sharing the gospel. Maybe it means that at church, if there's a London Lives event, you know, the events that we put on every now and then, now and again at church and you think okay I'm going to pray for and invite five friends along to London Lights three people say uh uh no I'm not coming on to that one person doesn't get back to you and one person goes yeah go on then I'm free tonight yeah I'll come along or remind me asking a friend that you, you've had some kind of good chats about Christianity over the, the years but it might just taking that little risk to say look can we do you fancy ever just reading one of the accounts of Jesus' life together? Just no pressure. Just if you fancy doing that over a coffee or something. Is that a bit risky, a bit scary? Yeah, I think it is, isn't it? But is it worth it for Jesus? Yeah. As I was preparing this sermon, thinking about the, the wonderful variety of, of people at Trinity and gifts that God has given us at, at Trinity, it's great to think about it. Some people have been given brilliant creative gifts. Some have been given sort of administrative gifts. You, you love a good rotor, and, you know, that really gets you going. Other people are just brilliant with people. They're real people, um, 
people people. And uh, for them, it might be that they're involved in welcoming or, or this, what Jeff prayed about, the Bridgeside Lodge, this old people's home. It might be that that's the kind of thing to, to get into for you. And you might think, well, it's a bit risky with, with my time. I'm quite busy. I've got a lot on. But it's worth having a go in light of the master's return. Maybe you're thinking this, uh, hearing this as well, and you're thinking, well, look, Nathan, these people, Tansy and Andrew and all those, they sound amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a bit average. I'm not really like, like them. I don't even know what my gifts are and my abilities are. Well, don't worry. There's real freedom here to, to have a go, to explore your gifts. Go and help out on crash for a few weeks. See, see how it goes. You might really get into it and enjoy it. And just before we move on to the last point, just to kind of particularly flag just two areas, if I may. The, the first is then finances. Because that's the point primarily being made in here about the bags of gold. And it's just a good reminder, isn't it, for me and, and for all of us, that this money that we, we own or the money that we have in life, it, it is the master's money. It's not our money. It's the master's. And when we think about that and we remember that it, it allows us to be generous to be open-handed and I know a number at Trinity already are in your giving that's finances but for the other thing just to to kind of put a finger on is is the potential maybe for for one or two to think about whether it might be that you go into full-time Christian ministry or explore that in the future maybe you've been leading a Bible study or done that in the past and and people have said to you, oh, you've got a real gift for this. You're really helped by your, by your, you know, your, your Bible study leading. Well, that people have prompted you in that direction and you think, yeah, that, maybe that is something that kind of with the skills God has given me and the time and those, maybe, maybe I could use those kind of gifts for him in that way. It's not to say that working for a church is better than working in the city or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But just for the way that God has made you. Could it be that you think about the Cornhill training course part-time or something like that just to, to have a go, see if that is something for you? If not, that's okay, but it could be. Well, like servants one and two in our story, we're to multiply what Christ has entrusted in light of the future rewards. But the last point I want us to look at is this, that lazy servants misunderstand the master's character. We focus then on the, on the generous master. We've thought about the positive examples, those two productive servants. And finally, there's a negative example. And that was flagged up to us in verse 18. It's, it's set up, isn't it, negatively, but. Look at that, verse 18, but. The man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He's done the equivalent of, of shoving it under the under the mattress, hasn't he? And you imagine in the office, this guy, the, the guy who had one bag of gold, he's heard the commendation from the master on the other two, and now all eyes turn to him. What does he say? Look at verse 24. He says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. What, what exactly has he done wrong, this guy? 
Well, he's completely misunderstood the master's character. He's seen him as a, as a hard man, and he's, he's feared him. He's been scared by him. And as one person I read put it, they said, in hoping not to, not to do anything wrong, he failed to do anything right. He refuses responsibility. He overlooks his master's generosity. And he shows a lack of love for the master, a lack of love for Jesus. And the master's response is chilling, isn't it? As as we heard Rachel read it out in verse 26. You wicked, lazy, that's worthless servant. He's failed to do anything productive for the kingdom. And the result is judgment that we'll focus on a little bit more next week in the next parable. But this is a warning here, isn't it? It's a very strong warning. For those who fail to acknowledge that the giver of the gifts, those who fail to love Jesus, maybe they profess faith in him but show zero reality in their lives of that. And verse 30 sorry, warns of being thrown into the darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of hell. I wonder if that's a warning that you need to hear today. Yet if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you don't need to respond in fear to the master. Instead, as a Christian, we, we look at the cross and we, we look there and we remember, and we remember the way that he has served us so wonderfully in dying for us on a cross. And because of that, we naturally want to serve him because, because saved people serve Jesus Christ, the judge, is coming back and he will ask you what you have produced with your life. And so as those here today, saved by grace, rescued through the cross, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you be productive, busy, risky even, for the sake of the kingdom? Looking forward to that reward that comes in verse 23, doesn't it? Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Just as we finish, uh, as life in some ways gets back to normal tomorrow, still not quite convinced with, with how much it will, but as we go back to, uh, to some kind of normal life, I just want to offer a gentle challenge to those of us who have maybe taken the, the foot off the pedal, spiritually speaking, and just sort of been coasting and... And maybe that's been us as, as we think about our experience during the pandemic. And I just want to share two stories. They come from a book um, by John Piper, who some of you might have heard of. And it's a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And they're two contrasting stories that I think will be helpful as we finish. The first of us is a story then in April 2000 um, of a lady called Ruby Ellison and another lady called Laura Edwards who were killed um, very sadly in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life, and she poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura, the other lady there, was a widow, a medical doctor. She was pushing 80 herself, serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. And one day they were driving, and the brakes failed on their car. Tragically, uh, they crashed, and they were both killed. And John Piper, the guy writing this, said to his church family, Was that a tragedy? 
two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Piper says, no, that is not a tragedy. That is glory. These lives were not wasted. The other story he tells at the same time and the same sermon was this, about a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest. I don't know if any of you have got that edition. Uh, but it's a, a story of a, of a couple who took early retirement in the States uh, from their jobs. He was 59, she was 51. And in Florida, they spent, kind of planned to spend the rest of their days cruising on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball and collecting shells all day long. And John Piper writes this. He said, at first, when I read this, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your only one precious life, God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And Piper says, people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. We might have another 40, maybe 50 years. Don't waste it, Jesus says, in passivity but with the Holy Spirit's help maximize the assets for him let me pray Father God thank you in your kindness for giving us stories for giving us these parables that are so uh, emotive and so rich Thank you, Lord, for the amazing opportunity that you give us as broken and fallen people to, to live meaningful and worthwhile lives for you. Lord, we want to confess that there'll be many times where we've, where we've got that wrong, where uh, we've thought that the equivalent of collecting seashells um, is the main thing that we're here for. But Lord, help us to be busy, productive servants, recognizing that we are under grace, that we're saved. Help us to do that at Trinity and in our lives outside of the church here as well. And I pray for those who maybe need to hear this warning today to not waste our lives, that we'll hear that message and respond in faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.